Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor here. And uh, like Chad said, we're in the sixth week of our sermon series called Miracles, talking about the healing of the blind man. Um, before we get into that, I want to tell you a quick story just about my week, how my week went. Um, I was messing with Cohen on, I think it was Thursday morning, Friday morning, um, and I was singing. He doesn't like when I sing Disney princess songs to it, just like you wouldn't like if I sing Disney princess songs to you. And so I was singing A Whole New World to Cohen, which is you know, in and of itself, torturous, and so he was telling me to stop. He's like, Dad, stop, stop, and so completely encouraged by that, I only got louder and louder, to which Cohen said, Alexa, pause, Dada. <laughs> you win this round, young one. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> so we're here today, and we're going to be spending the whole morning in John chapter 9, and we're really going full speed into the text. And I want to do a little bit of an experience with you guys today, if you would. Humor me and participate in this. I want to see if we can uh, insert ourselves into the story and see how we would engage and picture ourselves, how we would react in the story, which is at times a helpful way to read and reflect on Scripture, to um, do a heart check and see, like, how would I have interacted with Jesus in this time? Typically, you're going to want to remove you know, yourself from being Jesus. He's the one who interacts with us. But today we're going to engage and we're going to take the part of the blind man, if you, if you would do that when we get to that point, and just try to imagine yourself in this experience. But before we get into chapter 9, I want to give you a little bit of context and a little bit of the story that happens right before this because oftentimes you'll jump into just chapter 9. But what happens in chapter 8 is important because Jesus is, at the, um, is being questioned by the religious leaders at the time. And they're being asked, and he's giving these answers that they don't like. And he's telling them, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's come to bridge the, the gap in the relationship between man and God. I'm the one who's long awaited. I am sent by God, my Father in heaven. And the religious leaders think that this is blasphemy. And they get incredibly upset with him, so much so that they start throwing stones at him and he has to hide or he hid himself, depending on which translation you look at. But he has to get out of the way of people actually throwing stones at him. I don't know if that's ever happened in your life, but you're probably saying something that the person on the receiving end doesn't like if they throw things at you. Um, so he's hiding, and then he starts walking away from the temple. And under that context is where we jump into the story today, um, John chapter 9. I wish that I could read all of John chapter 9 to you, but we just don't have the time to do it today. Um, and so we're going to focus on the front end and then one little part at the back end. Um, does that sound okay? Insert yourself as the, the, blind, the blind man or woman. Uh, insert yourself in the story of John chapter 9. Will you pray with me before we get started today? God, we are we're thankful for your word. We're just blown away that we get to come around it, study it, hopefully be changed by it. God, I pray that, that your truth would stand today and that anything else would fall away. We're just trusting, God, that you would work in this time. Spirit, we pray that you would be in this room and that you would, uh, you would turn hearts towards you, that you would convict us as we need it, that you would lead us as we need it, but that your presence would be very evident in this time as we look at this story. God, we love you and we trust you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's important to note as we jump in that there's a, there's a stark difference between 
a parable of Jesus, one of the times where he's telling a story that's meant to illustrate a point, and what we've been going through in John, which are historical accounts of interactions of Jesus. It can sometimes be easy to fall into the temptation to believe that Jesus is just telling these stories, or this is just some fantasy story meant to prove some point to us. But I want to just lay out on the foundation as we get started today that this is a historical account of a time when Jesus interacted supernaturally in the world to do something that nobody had ever done before. And so with that, we dive into um, to John chapter 9, taking the role of the blind man. And so with that, we are all blind in need of sight. And it's one of the things that we have to hold on to today as we read this story is that we're all blind in need of sight from time to time. We all have areas where we can't see what God is doing. And I'm fortunate enough to have been born with sight. Uh, I, I do, however, need corrective lenses. I suffer from the same eye disease as Steph Curry, who need contact lenses. Things are just blurry, you know, like that's just what it is. But I still vividly, vividly remember when I first got glasses. I was in fifth grade or about to be in fifth grade. It was summertime. And went to the eye doctor, did the whole, is this better, is this better, this better, this better, this better? I don't know. Just You fix it. You're the doctor, you know? Uh, I never understood that all that much. But he, um, we, we got my prescription, ordered the glasses, and I remember driving to the doctor's office, getting the glasses, doing the fitting. And you can tell when you're inside the office that, like, well, these are, this helps, you know? Uh, at that point, I wasn't worried at all about looking nerdy or anything because I was like, these things rock. I can see everything. And I was so annoying to my sisters on the way home. I promise you I was because I went outside. I walked out the door and I was like, you can see leaves on trees? Are you kidding me? It's not just a green blob? What is this majesty on display in front of me? And I was reading every street sign because I was proving I could read and I could see. You could see every letter. Those aren't just blue or green or whatever. You could see them. It's unbelievable. And my sister's like, we know, Adam. Like, we've been here for our whole lives. I haven't. You know, let me have this moment. I was so excited. And that's something that if you don't wear corrective lenses, I don't know if you can understand. If you are wearing glasses and you come up on somebody that doesn't need glasses or anything, um, the questions you get are always really funny about what it's like to need a prescription lens. It's like, so you just go blind after like five, six, seven feet out there? It's just like a black wall? Like, no, that's not how it is. It's just like focusing a lens. Uh, but I, I vividly remember that. And even today, as we talk about blindness, um, it's not the same thing that it was back then. I mean, the, the, the situation is the same. But in ancient times, if you were born blind, you were an outcast of society. You couldn't contribute in any way. Now there are accommodations. You can still work and participate in society, and you can still enjoy things. You can still be a valued member of culture if you're born blind. Back then, I was just like, well, you can't see anything. We don't have anything for you. You're outcast. You can't participate in what's going on um, in the world. And so with that, we dive into John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the CSB. So Jesus has just come out of this, you know, encounter. Him and his disciples are walking by, and it says this. As he, Jesus, was passing by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. It might seem pretty callous to us to have this interaction, right? I mean, to just see a blind person and then to ask, well, whose sin was it that made that person born blind? Like, that seems pretty messed up. The person's probably right there. You can see him because Jesus noticed them. And these disciples are just searching for, like, what is it that caused this? And we do a similar thing, but these, these disciples were just trying to learn from their rabbi. And there are five possible reasons for this question. One is that some of the Jews at that time believed in the pre-existence of souls and the possibility that those pre-existent souls could sin. And so this is a punishment for that pre-existent soul's sin. Some Jews believed that there was some sort of reincarnation and that perhaps the man had sinned in a previous experience. Some Jews believed that a baby might sin in the womb. Some thought that this was punishment for a sin that the man would commit at some point in the future, and so God was pre-punishing him by blinding him for that future sin. Or they could have been so bewildered and uncomfortable by the situation that, like little kids do sometimes, they ask the question they shouldn't have said, and they were just throwing out wild possibilities. You see, the disciples had sight, but they didn't understand. They saw the man, but they didn't see the man that Jesus wanted, wanted them to see the man. They were blind to the kingdom opportunity right in front of that. And Jesus makes a really important distinction here. He's like, look, this isn't punishment for some sin. This is just an opportunity for God's work to be put on display. God didn't make the man blind so that he could heal the blindness and show off. But because there's brokenness in the world, because there's sickness in this world, because there's disease in this world, this man is blind. And you know what this is right here for us? Gentlemen, this is an opportunity for God's glory to be put on display. And so let's not argue and talk about and discuss whether it was sin of him or his parents, but let's just look at, let's look at the opportunity for God's glory to be, to be put out there for the world to see. Charles Spurgeon says this, It is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenor of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical, less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for break, bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. Let us not, when we see somebody who's broken and hurting and in need, wonder what it was that put them there. Let us instead look at that person with compassion and grace and mercy and say, I could meet that. I could help fulfill that. I could help that person right there. And Jesus is shutting down the possibility that we should just discuss and wonder and speculate with condemnation about why someone is the way that they are. And that's a heart check for me because sometimes when I pull up into an intersection and there's somebody begging for money, I go immediately to, I wonder what it was that happened in their life that led them there. And it's not always in the most compassionate way. I wonder what mistakes, they, I wonder what it was that makes them do this. Or we get so blinded and calloused by people who have taken advantage, who have just been con artists and, and take, you know, stolen money that we just don't even see that person anymore who could have a real legitimate need. 
And Jesus is looking at this man and saying, no, no, no. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for God's glory to be put on display. Don't you know, we just had men throwing stones at us. I'm not going to be here very much longer. People aren't liking what I'm saying because I'm upsetting the order of things. Don't you see, I'm only here for a little bit longer. We're not going to argue about the theology of things. We're going to go in and we're going to meet those needs. There, there were two psychologists, John Darley and Daniel Bastan, who put this situation to the test. They actually put the situation of the Good Samaritan up to the test. And they wondered what percentage of people would, uh, would help the Good Samaritan in our time, in our day. And so they took students from Princeton Theological Seminary, and they uh, developed this situation. They had uh, the whole group prepare a talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan. So they're literally studying the text, the scripture, about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And they put them in a room to prepare. And they take them from the preparation room into the room where they think that they're going to have this presentation or this sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. In between, they put a person who was visibly in in distress and audibly making noise that mimicked that he was hurting or sick or in pain. And then they broke the group, the, the students, into two groups. With one group... They, had, they told the group that they had plenty of time to get from where they were preparing to where they would have to present the sermon. With the other group, they told them that they didn't have enough time and they had to rush over to give the, the presentation. They also did this, this long study about their personal history, their convictions about why they went into seminary in the first place, what they wanted to do after graduation, what their beliefs were on Scripture and whether they thought it was, you know, applicable. App- applicable to their lives or not. And do you know the number one influencer of whether people stopped or not was whether the students thought that they had enough time to get from where they were preparing the message to where they had to present the message. 63% of the people who thought, these are seminary students, 63% of the seminary students who thought they had enough time stopped and helped the person in distress. Only 10% of seminary students who prepared a message on the Good Samaritan and experienced it on the way to preach that message stopped. It would be really easy to put yourself in a position where you're like, oh, those seminary students, can you believe it? And yet we do this all the time. I did this just this week. Because I was driving back from the gym, and it was still dark. The sun was getting ready to to come up, and I was driving, and I saw a woman, and she was carrying a baby in a car seat. I think she was carrying a baby in a car seat. She was for sure carrying a car seat, and it stood out to me because I thought, like, whoa, that looks like the car seat that Emory uses. Like, I bet I have the base for that. And then as I was passing the person, I thought, I got that, like, nudge, like, you should stop and pick this person up and offer them a ride. And you know what I did? I kept driving. This is just me being honest with you. I kept driving because I explained it away, right? I said, oh, it's a, it's a single woman. I'm a guy. It's dark out. That's going to be scary and intimidating. I don't want to do that. I don't want it to seem like I'm, you know, whatever. Or she's probably just walking, like, the next 50 feet up to the bus stop right there. She doesn't need a ride from me. I don't want to, you know. And I just kept driving. And I didn't think anything of it until I started really thinking about it. And I was like, you big dummy. What would it have hurt to pull over and say, hey, do you need a ride? 
because I, ha- I think I have the car seat right here. And I missed the opportunity because we are all blind from time to time. Our schedule, our fear, our worries throw up these blinders that keep us in this line where we, just like the disciples, beg the question instead of offering the solution, right? We wonder what it was that culminated in this experience, and we don't see the opportunity for us to be the, the healing and the hope of Jesus in a situation. So we're all blind from time to time. Charles Spurgeon continues to say this. Whenever you see a man in sorrow and trouble, the way to look at it is not to blame him and inquire how he came there, but to say, here's an opening for God's almighty love. Here is an occasion for the display of the grace and goodness of our Lord. Jesus upsets the reality with this completely different response. But we're the blind man, right? And so we're putting ourselves in the story right there. And you're in and around the temple area because they're walking. They're walking from this encounter with the religious leaders, and they're walking away. And as they pass by, Jesus notices this blind man. And then the disciples ask this sort of awkward question. And the man was blind, not deaf. And so you have to wonder, did he hear the question? And then you have to wonder, had he heard that question before? Because rabbis and their disciples walking past seeing the man born blind and thinking how unfair that was and then just speculating, just speculating why was it that that man was there. And you got to wonder what other rabbis had said, what other rabbis had given as the answer for why this man was born blind. But there's something about the way that Jesus responds that opens the blind man up to be receptive because the the disciples start to speculate. And Jesus is like, no, he says in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered, this came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night's coming so that no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I don't know what blindness it is that's surrounding you today. But it's important to notice in this story that Jesus doesn't approach with condemnation. He says that in this brokenness, in this weakness, this is an opportunity for my strength to be made perfect, for my Father's glory to be on display. And so we don't have to hide from our weakness. We don't have to be worried about what Jesus says. He's going to approach us with grace, and he's going to say, this is an opportunity for healing. And so don't worry about that. Just come to me. I am full of grace. I'm a different kind of rabbi. And I don't know how you imagine yourself hearing that, but can you imagine being born blind and having been condemned and outcast your whole life? And then hearing a rabbi say something completely different about and to you. The second thing is this. We're all sent to experience restoration. There is a really interesting uh, experience that follows. Jesus doesn't go up to the man and say, "I'm I'm about to heal you now. This better, this better. This better, this better. You know, he's not like, okay, and you're healed. John 9, 6 6 and 7 says this. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, and he made some mud from the saliva, and he spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he, the blind man, left, washed, 
and came back seeing. This has to seem like a really weird encounter, right? Can we just be honest about that? Like this is any germaphobes in the room like he did what to what and put it where? No, thank you. I might have stayed blind, you know. But put yourself in the ancient times. You're the blind man. God formed man out of the dust of the earth, out of the dirt. And in that time, using saliva, fasting, using saliva spittle as to create eye ointments was a very common practice. Yeah. <laughs> but this was something that they did to help heal out and clean out their eyes. Because they didn't have clean water like we had. We didn't have antibacterial stuff like we had. This is what they did. And so Jesus is drawing from the current practices and traditions of the time. And so he spits on the ground and he makes this ointment. And he rubs it on the eyes. And it's with that, he says, this will heal you. Because I'm going to do what no one else has done. Nobody who's been born blind has received sight until right now. Other types of blindness have been healed, but nobody's born blind has been healed. You go and you show that the one who sent me is able to do something that no one else, no prophet, has been able to accomplish. You're the blind man, right? What do you do with all that's happening right in front of you? You can't see anything. All you can do is hear this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And John 9 doesn't give any indication that Jesus said anything to the blind man except for go and wash in the pool of Siloam. You are blind. You've overheard a conversation that seems different to you. You've had mud rubbed on your eyes. And then some guy that you've never seen tells you to summon all your resources and make your way to a popular pool. This pool, the pool of Siloam, was constructed by Hezekiah. And it was a a way to bring water safely into the middle of the city especially for times of siege. And so during that time, they ran a conduit tunnel from one water source into the city so that they could have water during times of war. And so there is this very popular place that you're told to go to, and you're blind, and you're stumbling, and you're walking, and you're hoping that you can get there. And you have to, you have to decide, am I going to trust this guy or... Am I just going to stay here and wipe the, the mud off my eyes? And it's incredibly indicative of how sometimes we will experience God's work in our lives. We hope that he'll just do the miracle and we can be passive <laughs> recipients of his grace and his goodness and his glory. But to the blind man, he said, you figure out how to get to that pool. And there there will be a washing Because in the pool of Siloam is where rabbis of the time would draw up water during the festival of the tabernacle so they could get this water, which would represent a pouring out of the Spirit. And so Jesus knows this, and he sends them to this place. He sends them to the place where the rabbis thought that they could get water that was special and powerful. And Jesus says, you go do with the mud ointment that I just made what they've never been able to do, and they're going to see what happens. Because at the pool of Siloam, he washes off the mud from his eyes, and he came back seeing. So you can imagine. Think about my reaction when I stepped out of the eye doctor's office. You can imagine what that man's reaction would have been when he washed the mud off his eyes. Everybody that was there would have known that a miracle had just happened. We are sent to experience and bring about restoration. 
We don't just get to receive all the time. Sometimes we have to walk in faith like blind people into what God has for us, into our future. Our job is just to take the next step and just to get to the place where he's sending us and just get there. And then you'll find out. And then you'll find out what God has for you because it might be restored sight. It might be full clarity, but it is definitely part of his plan for a full life for you. But we're sent to go do that. He doesn't just always say, you're healed. The other part is this. We're given a story to tell. We're given a story to tell. He left and he came back seeing. He came back probably looking for Jesus, probably to talk, probably to, you know, but he came back and he was talking about it. And the interesting part of John 9, we can't get into, but it is the whole experience after verse 7 and up to verse, you know, 33 or the end of the chapter. There is this unbelievable back and forth of the religious leaders to the blind man. And now remember, you're the blind man. You've never been able to participate in society. You've never had a, a, been able to, to work for a living wage. You've been an outcast of society your whole life. And now because of what Jesus has done for you, you have an audience of the most powerful people in the city, the religious leaders, and they're questioning you. And you know that they want you to discount what Jesus did. And he doesn't bat an eye when it comes to delivering his testimony. They ask him, is this this guy a prophet? I don't know. I'm the blind guy. And now I can see. I don't know if he's a prophet. You're the religious leaders. You should know. You tell me. I know this thing that I was blind and I couldn't see. And I couldn't see. And then he told me to do this thing. He put this mud on my eyes. It's kind of weird. But he told me to go to this pool and then wash my eyes. And I went and I washed my eyes. And you wouldn't believe. You can see the leaves on the trees. Can you believe that? And it's green. And it's unbelievable. And they question him again. And then they question his parents. And his parents duck the question because they don't want to be condemned and thrown out of society. But this man, this man doesn't even concern himself with whether he can ingratiate himself with the religious leaders at the time and raise his social status. He just goes back and forth and back and back with them and he tells them, look, I know very little about the supernatural that just happened to me, but I can see now. And John 9, 25 says this. They're asking him, well, is this man a sinner? Tell us that this man is a sinner. Verse 24, it says, give glory to God. We know that this man, referring to Jesus, is a sinner. And this was the blind man's reply. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. What else do you want from me? What else do you want for me to put on display that something miraculous and powerful has happened in my life? The greatest testimony in your life, in my life, in his life, was the fact that before Jesus, we were one thing. After Jesus, we are entirely other. After Jesus, we have a different life, a different future, a different eternity. And so we better be willing to say, I know one thing. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I can see. I had no hope and now I have a future and an eternity. I was broken and now I'm healed. This is what I know. We cannot step back away from this moment. 
And they tell him, you gotta, you got to stop talking about Jesus in this way. He's like, look, it doesn't matter what you say to me. This man restored my sight. And he goes back and forth with them. And then they, you know what they did? They sent him out. They threw him out of that place. And so any potential of his popularity among them getting any higher, that door was closed. But the blind man was faithful to tell his story and his testimony. You better believe it changed people. Mark Batterson says this. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in a kingdom cause. The best place to find yourself is to lose yourself in a kingdom cause. The best pursuit of our life is to pursue the kingdom of God. The best pursuit of our life is to pursue obedience with Jesus. The best pursuit of our life is to find that full life that he promises us. To be able to see again, to help people and meet needs in his name. To be healed of our brokenness. To be restored to how God intended us to be. To be made whole and made new. The best place to find yourself is to lose yourself in a kingdom cause. And the miracle that we get to experience today is that there's a little girl out in our lobby who doesn't know everything, but she knows this one thing. I was something, but Jesus showed up in my life. And she's going to be baptized and give her the rest of her life to Jesus and his kingdom. May we be courageous enough to follow her example. We check out what's on the screen. This is such a day of celebration. I'm here with my friend, Michaela. She's in fourth grade and 10 years old. And Michaela has made the decision to follow Jesus and to be baptized. Michaela, are you ready? Yeah. All right, repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Michaela, because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, the promise of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. 